Just because you're a spy or a special agent, there's still tax time and seasonal allergies and running out of milk. I remember I was on my way off to, a, let's say, a war in a desert. And I remember telling my mom I was in the CIA just in case something happened. And she says to me, because I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to rock her world. This is going to be so amazing. She at me and she says, that's nice. You always liked that sort of thing. <laughs> My friends and I, we would always joke, both in the OSI and in the CIA, you know, if anyone were to really write a book about the OSI or the CIA, it wouldn't be a tell-all. Okay, it would contain no secrets. It would probably read more like The Office. Welcome to Aspiring Hollywood. Today, I'd like to talk to you about good writing. I lost count of how many screenplays I read in my capacity as filmmaker and screenwriting instructor. In the last 25 years, I read hundreds of stories. And I have to say that there are many great unknown writers out there. Take that as validation. If you happen to be an unknown writer, doesn't mean you're not a great writer. So is the story of a lifelong friend and former colleague from a previous career. One Part Death is the second installment and in concrete evidence of James Davidson's masterful storytelling ability. He continues to explore Elliot Turner, a character he introduced in his first book, Some Like Him Dead. Now, James Davidson's past is just as intriguing as that of his fictitious characters. He started his federal investigative career as a special agent with the U.S. Air Force Office of Special Investigations. He went on to work with the CIA, that's the Central Intelligence Agency, as case officer. And later he was promoted to chief of station, which means he was in charge of a CIA post overseas. He rubbed elbows with high-ranking U.S. officials, traveled to faraway lands, and risked his life to fight for those who couldn't fight for themselves. All that to say, J.D. brings to his writing a life worth of extraordinary experiences most people can only fantasize about. Joining us today is my dear friend, novelist, and retired CIA case officer and chief of station, James G. Davidson II. J.D., welcome to Aspiring Hollywood. Lou, my friend, how have you been? <laughs> I have been okay. And let me tell you, uh, thank, thank you for uh, sending me that book. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. One part death is just the writing, the description. I was so impressed with the ease uh, of, uh, of the story and everything that uh, I think you did a wonderful job, my friend. But thank you. That's that's good to hear, especially <laughs> coming from you. Now, look, I know there are certain aspects of your previous career that obviously you can discuss with us. Uh, but the intrigue of international intelligence gathering is is just um, fascinating to to just about everyone. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in that line of work and um, why did you decide to risk life and limb? Well, I tell you what. Lou, they say that life is what happens when you're making other plans. I, I don't think I ever set out to be a special agent. I never set out to be a CIA case officer. I think 
my biggest aspirations when I was a kid was to simply be an English teacher and maybe work on the next great American novel in the past time, huh? <laughs> you know, while, while I was, uh, you know, while I was waiting to become a famous writer. I grew up on the borders of Southeast Washington, D.C. Yeah. And one excellent way to get out of the hood <laughs> as in there, is to join the military. So I joined the military yeah. at a very young age. Actually, I Actually, I dropped out of college to join the military, and then the military paid for my degree at 75% tuition assist, so nice. <laughs> so that, that's nice. a deal. But after I dropped out, you know, I found myself uh, as a radio operator in the Air Force. Okay. okay. Now, a lot of people aren't aware of uh, that in the Air Force, you know, you actually test to, for the next higher ranks, become a non-commissioned officer. And I remember a test question as I was testing to, for rank in the Air Force, and it was, uh, what's the life expectancy of a ground radio operator during wartime? <laughs> and the correct answer was 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Finding. So I thought to myself, I'm going to need another job <laughs> here in the Air Force. You know? Yeah. And as well, a, that's worse than a second lieutenant in Vietnam, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's worse than being a second lieutenant in Vietnam. You know, so one day I'm checking my mail and I look down at my LES, my leave and earning statement. Right. Uh, and there's a blurb at the bottom of this leave and earning statement. And it says, uh, the OSI needs people. Okay. And, thought, and yeah. it says, do you have what it takes? And I thought, I don't know what the OSI is, but of course I've got what it takes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now so explain what, what does, what's OSI? What does it say? Now, now the OSI is the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Okay. The Air Force Office of Special Investigations was created in 1947 uh, concurrently with the U.S. Air Force. Okay. And it was created to investigate major crimes, uh, uh, white collar fraud, you know, and then this broad umbrella, you know, a subject of crimes that affect national security. And you can fit a whole lot of stuff under there. So the OSI yeah. has, has a, had a broad investigative mission to include, a lot of people don't realize that the, the UFO investigations, Project Blue Book fell under the auspices of the OSI back in the day. Not during my time, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> but, but sure imagine, you did. Sure but you I did. imagine they were interesting <laughs> times. It, it, you know? right. So I thought, you know, this is this is right up my alley. So I applied for the Office of Special Investigations. And before I knew it, I was a special agent trainee in the uh, AFOSI Academy on then Andrews Air Force Base. Can you give us the elevator pitch, just a, a short 30 seconds to a minute, worth of a summary of what this story and maybe maybe start with uh, some like them dead you know because Elliot Turner you created essentially for some like them dead and then you continued with this character in this uh, one part death well so like I, like I mentioned the uh, having been a special agent in the OSI and knowing that the OSI in its past has skirted up against more arcane and esoteric subjects, you know, mm. which I myself never had a chance to become a part of. And I thought, <laughs> wouldn't it be great, you know, to, to create a world in which a former OSI special agent, you know, had the opportunity 
to pursue these more more paranormal and, and arcane topics. I've created a world where Elliot Turner is exploring a nascent psychic ability. You know, because uh, who, who hasn't watched the old serial killer movies or <laughs> thought, wouldn't it be intriguing if this guy were, were psychic? And there have been television series that have brushed up against this topic. You know, I, I, I didn't want to make it too formulaic. You know, I, I've always been under the impression that if there were a psychic investigator, those abilities would be terribly unreliable. I wanted Elliot to be psychic, but I didn't want the psychic powers to be a magic bullet. You know, uh -huh. I, I wanted yeah. it to be something that he has to work with, something that sometimes works against him, something mm -hmm. that he's going to have to grow with and, and, and learn to deal with as he moves forward in his investigative career. In yeah. one part of death, we follow Elliot's exploits after he's been recruited, you know, mm -hmm. by this more underground government agency, <laughs> and, but he's no longer in the field and he misses yeah. that. They, they have him, uh, we're all familiar with remote viewing, you right. know, where you right. sit in a small room and you, you try to imagine where the enemy missiles are. Yeah. Well, Elliot, who's this field agent, you know, this hands-on investigator, when, when we find him in one part of death, he's just been sitting in a room, remote viewing. As, as fate would have it, one of his old partners in the OSI, find, who's now a private investigator, finds himself embroiled in this international conspiracy, which, of right. course, ends up getting him killed. And he reaches out to Elliot, you know, mm. as he's dying, you know, right. for his assistance. And Elliot finds that now, for better or for worse, it's time to get back into the game. <laughs> I love it all. I love it all. Now, speaking of, of um, these organizations that don't exist, you actually worked for an organization that sometimes exists and sometimes it doesn't exist, right? Depending on <laughs> what mission you're on. I, I wouldn't say the CIA doesn't exist. The CIA, <laughs> CIA is very real. <laughs> very real. Huh? Just, just, just maybe in the shadows sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't see it. So, uh, so tell us as much as you can tell us, I know you're, you're, you know, you have to be careful what you say and what you don't say, but uh, tell us a little bit about that experience and what was it like to, to work as a uh, case uh, officer for, for the Central Intelligence Agency? Well, do, do, do you want the traditional answer or the, <laughs> the real reason that I, I apply to the Central Intelligence Agency? <laughs> Whichever one you want to give me, just don't get me in trouble with the feds. That's all I ask. I, I, I joined the CIA in 1999. Okay. I was still a special agent with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. And I was thinking that it was time to leave the Air Force and to leave the OSI. But I was also thinking I still wanted to serve my country. I, I yeah. still wanted to give back, but it was time to grow and, and to move on. And as I researched organizations that had a, could use my, uh, to, to plagiarize a phrase, particular set of skills, <laughs> right? I realized that there, well, there's the FBI and there's the Central Intelligence Agency. Right. Now, the problem was I was 33, 34 years old at the time, and the CIA and the FBI, their 
age requirement at the time maximum was 35. Right. So I thought if I took the OSI, you know, to a 20 year retirement, I would still need to work. I'd still be a young man, but I need to have a job. And the jobs that I was uniquely qualified for, you know, wouldn't be on the table anymore. So I left the OSI and applied to the CIA. Thank you for your service uh, in in both in in the Air Force and and here. And folks, just just as as I mentioned before, um, JD and I were colleagues in the uh, in the OSI. It was my partner for a while, so that's full disclosure there. But um, it also mentioned that you may or may not uh, aspects of our past might show up in my first book. (laughs) I I yeah. You remember the missile silos? (laughs) I I remember the missile. Oh my goodness! Do I remember the missile silos? Uh, Absolutely. That was an interesting time. I do. I, I, I just remember you and I in the bowels of the earth yeah. coming across a piece of string stretched across this dark cavernous missile silo. <laughs> and you, you looking at me and I'll never forget it. You said to me, you said, go save yourself. <laughs> well, I did because this, I, I, I tripped. <laughs> yeah, you're like, save yourself. This could be a trap. And yeah. thought, eh, it could be, but you know, we're one, we're one goes, we all go. Luckily, it was just a piece of string. <laughs> it was. I thought I thought it was a trip wire and and I felt it around my ankles. And and I had you, and then the boss was with us as well, and, and Chris and and um and I said, All right, well, if if I'm gonna go, they don't have to go. So let them just, you know go back a little bit, you know, put some distance between. That's not how we were built though. Uh, you guys yeah, stuck in there with me and I appreciate it. We're going to work this out together. But let's, let's get back to your book. I mean, first of all, that's some twisted character. I mean, that is, that is just raw, but the description does an excellent job. It takes you right in the mind of the criminal and, uh, and of course the agony of the victim, but tell us a little bit about uh, what is getting your hands wet or getting his hands wet um, for people that were not in the business that you were in? <laughs> I like my bad guys to be really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can tell. I can and, tell. And, and, and as a former investigator, I don't know whether there's a, a Stockholm kind <laughs> of thing involved when you're arresting somebody who is just a good person who's done a bad thing. Yeah. So in my perfect world as a former criminal investigator, you know, as a, as a, as a former government man, you know, if I'm going to arrest or bring to justice, a bad guy, I would like them to be evil. (laughs) (laughs) I would like them to be really bad. You know, I would like them to, to you and I, as just regular guys, right. it's like we understand, you know, the the intestinal fortitude it takes to maybe kill a man with your bare hands. <laughs> most of us, we yeah. really don't have that in us, no matter how well trained we are, you yeah. know, no matter how it's like there's this cutoff in our mind that says, sure, that's just horrible, you know. So hand to hand combat is the worst combat. In, in a wartime situation, of course, you know, you, you can shoot somebody from, 
half a mile away, right? As a sniper. The way wars used to be fought. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I said to myself, you know, and when we were investigating, you know, you had those two schools of thought and this theme comes out in my books. You had the organized serial killer and the disorganized serial killer. And, and my theory has always been that we don't catch the organized killers because they're smart and they don't yeah. make mistakes. They've all got a screw loose, you know, but I wanted my bad guy to be, to have all the elements of that, that person that enjoys killing people, you know, right. but has found a way in uh, turning it into a vocation. <laughs> right, right. You know? So getting yeah. his hands wet essentially means that there's blood, right? He, I mean, that's, he, that's, there's there's yeah. blood, there's, there's yeah. blood, there's viscera. Yeah. He wants to, sure. to, to, to get his elbows in deep, you <laughs> know, like a brick worker, you know, I want to get there and I, yeah. I want to feel the bricks in my hand, you know, exactly. I want to feel the mortar on my skin when I'm building this house. Well, he's a killer and yeah. he doesn't like standoff killing. He wants yeah. to feel the act. So what's a technological death? What, what does that mean? Well, in the case of uh, one part death, you know, and I'm not sure if I really explored this in the book, you know, I alluded to it, but yeah. like uh, the, he's, he's, he's complaining because his employers have insisted that he poison this victim. Right. You know, because the the investigator was investing uh, investigating a technological conspiracy, right? So they didn't want him shot or stabbed or killed. They wanted something uh, sciency, uh, <laughs> you know. So creative I mean, killers, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like one part water, you know, one part. Yeah, salt, one part death. <laughs> now, now look, uh, we talked about the dark side of your characters, right? Where you go and you want them really, really bad to be bad. And this guy, I mean, uh, the way you described, you know, the, the muscle, you know, he cutting through the muscle and muscle off the bone and all that. It's just really bad. But you also have a very sensitive side of you, my friend, JD. You, uh, <laughs> you're a sweet guy, really. Um, and, like and, I, and I can prove that. I have evidence. <laughs> <laughs> you may not want people to know, but I do have evidence. Well, you and I have both been in the, the business. Yeah. And, and understand that uh, investigators and special agents, and CIA officers, there's a certain amount of ego that comes with that. Yeah. Now, as we describe describe Amanda, who's the the love interest of Darcy Joplin, right. you know, Elliot's partner. Amanda is uh, Darcy is coming out of this world, you know. Of she was a former special agent herself. She was a U.S. marshal. She was mm -hmm. a woman in a man's world, surrounded by drama and ego and bravado, you right. know, and. Sure. She's found this little bubble of bliss for herself mm. with Amanda. And she's found the perfect partner and someone who is capable and competent and loving and trusting and yeah. ego free. And this is the world that yeah. Elliot has essentially, I want to convey that Elliot's essentially taken Darcy out of this world back into this world, this unpredictable world of danger. And so it speaks to both Darcy's relationship with the victim, as well as Darcy's relationship, 
you know, with Elliot, you know, this, this partnership bond that they have that she's leaving what's essentially this perfect, you know, life, domestic life to go off and play investigator, not knowing what kind of danger she's going to be in. Right. Now, you know, let's talk a little bit about that, um, about how you approach story. I mean, what do you do first? Do you, do you write a treatment? Do you write your characters out? How do you approach? How do you get started? Because a lot of people have an issue with getting started, right? That's the biggest, you know, you stare at a blank piece of paper and say, I have the idea on my head, but it, nothing comes out. You know, how do you get started in, in writing something? Lou, I love a good prologue. Okay. I love the hook. Okay. I love, it's like, I, I, I can see, you know, a, a, a thousand angels on the head of a pin, you know, a, a good hook yeah. tells the story for me. And okay. as with the case of some like them dead and one part death, you mm. know, I thought, you know, I, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> yeah. a, a good hook, a good opening sentence, a good opening paragraph, you know, that brings the person in. So I may have the rough makings of the story in my head, mm -hmm. yeah. but until I can get through the prologue, you know, I, I don't have any direction, you know? Gotcha. And so gotcha. for me, the prologue of one part death it was basically uh, the, the death of Elliot's partner, right. John, Johnny Johnny B. Right. <laughs> so, oh, I re I remember somebody by that name. <laughs> and, and 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 he's he's dying, and he's and he's 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 not regretful, not really, because he thinks he's doing the right thing. But I wanted to to so so with me, I start with good pro prologue. Okay. And from that prologue, I build my outline oh. and I do this thing. And I, I know everyone writes has a different technique, but right. I have the prologue then, and I have the outline, you know, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, yeah. <laughs> you know, in my mind. Yeah. And then I keep a steady stream of uh, my, uh, a steady list of my stream of consciousness thoughts, usually in blue at the yeah. bottom of the manuscript it's like wouldn't it be great if yeah. Yeah. wouldn't it be great if they went to africa right. you know wouldn't it be great if they had a past relationship right. with the bad guy so right. prologue outline stream of consciousness ideas that i can call from as i'm working through the manuscript now i see something uh behind you over there is that is that a board that you use for your writing or is that it just is. the grocery I, I, list uh, it's, a, it's 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 a, it's a little of both. <laughs> okay, it's a, it's a reminder where 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 my current projects are, okay. you know, my my upcoming projects, you know. Okay, and if I don't know, and if it should occur to me that I need milk, I'll probably put that on the board. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Now you're talking about your upcoming projects. Uh, tell tell us what uh, what are you working on next? Well. Lou, in, I think in a writing parlance, you know, I'm what's generally known as a 
a hack. <laughs> okay. I, I, I like, I like pulp fiction. Like we say, right. I, I like guy, bad guys who are really bad, good guys who are really good. The worse the bad guy, the better it feels when they get their comeuppance, you know? Right. And that's really the impetus for creating really ewy bad guys so that when they do get their comeuppance, we say, we all breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> and say, wow, that's right. what I got. You right. know? But yeah. my next project is a memoir. Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's called Tinker Taylor, Black Man Spy. And, oh. and basically it chronicles my life it's it's not what people will think as a juvenile delinquent on the outskirts of southeast washington dc and as i rose through the ranks of the air force office of special investigations and ultimately to become a chief of station and the central intelligence agency but it's not one of those all about me kind of books you know, okay. my friends and I, we would always joke, both in the OSI and in the CIA, you know, if anyone were to really write a book about the OSI or the CIA, it wouldn't be a tell-all book. It would contain no secrets. It would probably read more like The Office. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason. because I think that's what it's like. I mean, we yeah, live yeah. it, right? Jason yeah. Bourne, you yeah. know, it would be, I, I always tell people, and I've written the prologue oh, <laughs> for, nice. the, and my, for this already. And I would say, I tell people, think Ian Fleming meets Dave Barry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> life, life, life as a shadow warrior. But yeah. there are some things that just because you're a spy or a special agent, there's still tax time and seasonal allergies and running out of milk and sure. diapers and forgetting to take the trash out and who's going to cut the yard. That stuff doesn't just disappear, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And so uh, my, 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 my next project chronicles the life of a spy, just living a regular life because at the end of the day, that's what we're all doing. We're just living well, our lives. And, and I think I think we forget sometimes uh, when we watch uh, movies like James Bond, you know, and those those uh, very slick spy movies, you know, super superhero type of uh, strength and uh, and smoothness. Right. That uh, we forget that, you know, people, operatives working out there in the intelligence community, are just regular people, you know, and and, and, the, and the thing is, I. I wrote something as well recently. And one of the lines in there is, um, you know, one of the handlers talking to a, to a field agent saying, or a case agent saying that, um, uh, you know, in our profession, you have to blend in. It's not working for you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, because this, this character really stands, you know, draws a lot of attention to himself, like the James Bond character, right? He walks into a room and all heads turn. And in real life, that's not the best quality to have as an operative, right? No, absolutely. In the phrase, the gray man, I know there's a movie out by that name, but the the gray man is essentially 
he's that guy who is just not that memorable. <laughs> and that's what makes a great operative, right? That's what you, you go into a foreign land and you just want to blend in with the general population. So you're he, not he looks, he looks like a salary man. He he's not built like Arnold. He he has a he has a dad bod and a three dollar haircut. <laughs> and those are the most effective ones out there. But look, I mean, Hollywood uh, just uh, kind of got us conditioned to what a spy is supposed to to look and act like. Right. So that's uh, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, I love the superhero <laughs> spy. I, I mean, it's not even a guilty pleasure. It's a pleasure pleasure. I love oh, James we, we, Bond and Jason. Of course. Bond and of course. All guys. But I love the fantasy most of all. When I watch a James Bond or Jason Bourne, I say, oh, my goodness, he didn't have to file a travel voucher <laughs> eval. <laughs> or an after action report. Or an after right? action <laughs> report. <laughs> exactly. So you sit that, there that, and that dude just does what he wants, man. <laughs> oh, man. I remember, you know, three o'clock in the morning after being up you know, on an assignment and coming back and, and having investigation. Or... Exactly. Right. I better not forget what was said and the exact quotes. <laughs> and, the, you know, it's like, oh, my goodness. It doesn't happen like that in Hollywood movies, right? But we all enjoy watching them. And speaking of Hollywood, what are your aspirations for Hollywood? Do you want to, I mean, somebody with your credentials, you could easily be in the very least a consultant on, on some of these shows. Um, but, but I mean, you'd be perfect to write on a show like, uh, like a spy type of theme you know, like, like we saw in 24 and then designated survivor and, and all those shows. You know, I would love to take something like that on board at, at some point. I mean, I, I think I've written my books because I think they're very, uh, they, they look well on the screen, right. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, and I have I that. Agree, by the way. They're and, very visual, very visual, descriptive, Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and yeah. so, so I, I'm always looking, uh, you know, I write my project because I'm a big fan of the movies and I, I think right. that comes out of my writing, which is I write for something that would translate to the screen. But personally, I watch some of these movies and I can actually tell movies and television shows that have a consultant from the inside and a consultant from the outside because they're little private jokes. You can tell a show that has a consultant who's actually been a cop or a special agent, you know, or a CIA case officer, right. because it comes out on the side remarks. It comes out between the lines. And right. so I always thought, I'd like to be that guy. You know, yeah. I, I'd, like, I'd like to be that guy who spends a part of my time giving flavor and nuance and realism to projects about the business sure. be it a, be it a comedy or be it high drama or high adventure you know i can usually tell and yeah i, I could see myself doing something like that now that i'm yeah. you know for full disclosure now that i'm retired <laughs> yeah, exactly you know it'd just be something to explore so so let's talk a little bit about that you said now you're retired um so how difficult is it to be a former agent or case officer, as, as you describe it, uh, working for an agency such as the CIA or any investigative agency, the OSI, or it doesn't matter, to, to go out there now and to tell the world what you did, right? 
when up to this point, you have to be very secretive about your identity and, and your work. And what, what's that process like? I mean, what, what does the agency do um, in, in terms of, of declassifying, I suppose, uh, former agents? Well, you know, for former and in, in the CIA Directorate of Operations, you have three primarily, four primary disciplines. You have case officers or operations officers, you have collections management officers, also called reports officers. Uh, you have uh, targeting officers, and you have desk officers. And those are those disciplines make up the core of the Directorate of Operations in the CIA. Okay. And for all of them, they say uh, uh, the old song "Secret Agent Man." They're giving you a number and taking away your name. <laughs> <laughs> right. They don't. They don't. They don't take away your name, but you are no longer. You don't live that aspect of your life, your work life, in public sure. anymore. And so, after twenty years of not living your working life in public, which is so such a major part of all of us, you right. know, all sure. of a sudden you're out in the world and you're, you're just this guy. Yeah. And with the agency, the nondescript guy that blends in and nobody yeah. notices. <laughs> yeah, or the old broken down former CIA case officer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, the agency they do have a process, and once you're cleared, they give you your watch and your pat on the back, and they say, <laughs> "Is it is it is it a, a, a wind? You know, the one the, the type of watch <laughs> that you can just, uh, you, the spring uh, on it." Yeah. What did we call those? The Folex? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, so, so post-retirement, it's like retiring from any other government job, I should imagine. I Do you remember the movie, The Hurt Locker? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, you Catherine know? Bigelow directed it, didn't yeah, she? Abs- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. With Jeremy Renner, you know, yeah. after this life of being an explosives ordinance disposal, you know, sergeant, he goes back home. And he finds himself in the cereal aisle of the supermarket. And there are just hundreds of boxes of different types of cereal there. <laughs> and here's a man who's lived by decisive action. Cut the red wire or the blue wire or whatever. Yeah, or we all yeah, die. And he yeah. stands in the middle of this aisle of cereal. And he just vapor locks. <laughs> I can't make a decision. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. So leaving leaving the CIA, it's it's surreal because you watch the news and you know the real story. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you watch the movies and you know the real story. Yeah. But you know the most important aspect of leaving a life as a special agent or a CIA case officer? What's that? Getting over yourself. <laughs> right you know hey exactly. you you were a guy you had a job it's like it. i was i remember i was on my way off to uh let's say a war in a desert okay <laughs> and i remember telling my mom i was in the cia just in case something happened okay. Well, okay. and she says to me because i'm thinking oh i'm just gonna rock her world this is going to be so amazing I should have a box of tissue handy. And she looked at me and she says, that's nice. (laughs) You always liked that sort of thing. (laughs) That's funny. Well, you know, you you can be a prophet in your own village, as they say in the Bible, right? right? And and then she asked me if I wanted a sandwich. She's like, would you like a sandwich? And I'm like, well, 
Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Do you remember you and I went to the Denver Police Department? We were working a case and we had to go and meet with one of the detectives there, the Denver PD. And uh, at the front desk, there was this little old lady that was civilian employee that worked there that she was checking ID, you know, to let people in. And do you remember we showed her our badges and you said, uh, yeah, I'm a special agent with the Office of Special Investigations. And she's like, well, ain't that special? (laughs) Isn't that special? You know, yeah. And her her tone was, your mother must be very proud of you. (laughs) You're such a special guy. Yeah. You're such sweet boys. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Right. And then that's so, so I say that, say, yeah, no, getting over, getting over yourself when you walk out the door. Yeah, sure. You're, you, you were a guy, you did a thing. It's like, and, I tell my, my son is a software engineer and I I think to myself, it's like, you know, when all is said and done, I'm not sure if I have any real skills. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you and me both, you know, I thought in in my past career, you know, I was, uh, you know, in law enforcement, you know, federal and, 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 and municipal as well later on. Um, And then I was a TV reporter. And, and then I went on to, to work in Hollywood as, as a you know, writer, actor, producer, director, what have you. And I thought, my goodness, if none of this works out for me, what am I going to do? You know, I, I have no other skills other to, than being a cop and, you know, and, and a creative type. It's like, what do you do? A creative type. And I think that's why I'm leaning towards the being a creative type now that I've retired because it's like, well, it occurs to me that my superpower is bullshit. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you know, it's it's a, called a, a gift for gab or a gift for spinning a tale about myself or about yeah. why I just happened to be in this country doing this thing, right. <laughs> you know, right. but at the end of the day, and I make light of it, but, and you can attest to this, not everyone can do it. <laughs> Well, we've it's had like, a lot of people wash out very early on. That's but, sure. And that and that that's the skill, which is yeah. doing bending reality around you. <laughs> you know, that's right. Bending yeah, reality yeah. around your fantasy. You you and you have to be a chameleon and and uh, and really be in touch with what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing because it's so easy to slip sometimes and and go to the you know to the other side but um we are very fortunate that we have <laughs> you know we we were very level-headed and and we knew what was up but um, and, and we were grounded <laughs> we were we were for the most part we were well jd thank you so much for joining us on aspiring hollywood i really appreciate it and man this felt more like a like a reunion than an interview <laughs> I'm, I'm glad because in its own way isn't it <laughs> exactly exactly but um but yeah we'll have to to get together more often like this and and talk about the craft but congratulations on your books and and good luck with with um you know selling them now you know so guys if you're out there just uh pick up uh, one of jd's books or both of them you, where, you, where can we find them? What, what what's a good platform to to purchase? Uh, best platform is you can find both uh, some like them dead and the sequel one part death on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and iBooks. Perfect, perfect. I, I, I would go with Amazon. 
you know. And if you do buy a book from Amazon, leave a review. <laughs> a good a- one too, right? I <laughs> <laughs> would appreciate a five star, I'm sure. Or is it four stars on Amazon? I forget. But uh, but thank you so much again for joining us on Aspiring Hollywood and hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Lou. Always a pleasure.